Amen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, worship team. Great job. Good morning. It's good to see you all. If you join us online, we welcome you as well. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 13. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles under the seats around you. And if you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that home. It's a free gift to you. We want you to have a, a copy of God's Word to take home with you. So I um, want, want to let you know about that. Um, as we get ready to move into John 13, though, just a couple things. First of all, um, as we look out at the room, tons of new faces, tons of familiar faces, um, but both are invited to our vision night coming up this Friday. This is a really special time for us to get together. It'll be the first time that the whole church has come together in a long time. Uh, we've been at three services, and now we're at two services, and this will be a chance for us to all be in here at the same time. Um, but it's going to be an exciting time as well. So, like, if you don't have anything on your calendar uh, for Friday at 6.30, now you do. Um, come be a part of that. There's going to be a lot of just fun activities. It's for the whole family. We'll have a time in here. We'll utilize our four-year area. It's really, really going to be a good time. So I want to encourage you. But also, um, the invite cards are still in the seat backs in front of you, I think. So um, this is for you to invite somebody else. Maybe there's a neighbor who you've been wanting to invite, but didn't really know how to start the conversation. So maybe this would be a tool for you or a coworker. Just to go and say, hey, would you like to come to Vision Night at our church? It's going to be a fun time for the whole family. And Hand them that card, and hopefully they'll come and to get to hear a little bit about what God's been doing. We're going to talk about the last 40 years. We're also going to talk about the next 40 years and just celebrate all of that together. And so that's coming up this Friday at 630. All right, so we're in John chapter 13, as Ken just read. And as you probably have already picked up on, the theme of where we're going to be going today has to do with love. Okay, and so I want you to just take a minute and think about what comes to mind when you think about love. When I say to you, love what comes to mind? Last service, people were just throwing out answers, so feel free to do that if you have something you want to throw out there. What comes to mind? Family? Okay. Anybody else? Conditional? Okay. You've got it. What's that? My wife. Okay. Yeah. Oh, brownie points back there in the back. <laughs> So we think about love, if I give you enough time, you're going to begin to kind of develop a list in your mind, which will include things potentially like God, God's love for you, your love for God. If you're married, for your spouse, and your spouse's love for you. If you have children, your love for your children, and hopefully their love for you, and maybe other family members, parents, siblings, aunts and uncles, nieces, nephews. Uh, we think about love uh, in the context of where we're going today, though, what we're talking about specifically is the love that you and I have for one another. Beyond familial relationships, beyond even the love that God has for us or the love we have for God, but specifically the kind of love that I am commanded to have for you and the kind of love you are commanded to have for me as we are commanded to love one another. And so we're going to pick this up in John 13, starting in verse 31. Jesus begins here. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and God or and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where? I am going, you cannot come. So to start with, um, earlier on in this chapter, uh, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, and then he gave them the command to wash one another's feet. 
And so now what's going to happen is we're going to transition from that time there in the upper room. Uh, Jesus is getting ready to go out into the garden and pray, which is where he's going to be arrested. And so we have this kind of period in between where he essentially gives a final sermon or a final charge to his disciples that will take place over the next four chapters in the Gospel of John. Which is remarkable because we've been through 13 chapters, which has spanned like three years. And so now what's going to happen in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 is Jesus' like final instructions for his disciples before he is arrested and goes to the cross. Now what's interesting though is really the, the intro into his sermon is what we just read. And it starts with some pretty big words, the idea of glorify. That's mentioned five times. It's time for me to glorify you, God, and you're going to glorify me, and I and you, and you and me. And like five times this idea of whatever's about to happen is going to bring glory to God. So, so we're on the cusp of a really big moment here. But, but second to that, he says to the disciples, hey, guys, I'm going to say to you the same thing I said to the Jews. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, what's interesting is that essentially where Jesus is about to go is to the cross, and then he's going to go to the tomb. And then after he resurrects and spends some more time here on earth with the disciples, he's actually going to ascend back to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And so he's saying to the guys, like, listen, I'm getting ready to depart. I'm getting ready to leave you. Matter of fact, he's going to talk a lot about that in the coming chapters where he actually says to them, guys, it's actually to your good that I leave. Don't be sad that I'm leaving. Don't feel abandoned and that I'm leaving. It's necessary for me to depart so that the Spirit can come, the Counselor can come. Talking, of course, the Holy Spirit. And so we're on the cusp of this big moment here in God's redemptive story. And so Jesus says to the disciples, I have a specific command for you. It's a new command. Verse 34. A new command, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we begin to break this apart. We look at this first phrase, a new command. Now, if you've ever read through the Bible, you know that this is not the first time that command is given. So the command to love one another is not new. So something else must be new about this command. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, the idea of loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's an Old Testament command that Jesus just reiterates in the Gospels, and so that part isn't new. So what is new? What we're going to see today is, first of all, we have a new example of what this love is to look like. Think about all the different versions and definitions of love we have in the world today. Right? And so we think about what we love. I love coffee. I love my dog. I love my children and I love my wife. And surely I don't mean the same thing in all four of those expressions. I mean something different really with each one of those. And so what do we mean by love? And so part of the newness of this command is that now we're going to have a real living example lived out in front of us of what real true love is. So there's a newness in that. But second to that is we're seeing that Jesus is readying himself and readying the disciples to depart. Part of this is the new chapter that's about to start. This is the launch of the church. 
as Jesus departs and the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples, which are 11 right now, are going to become 12 and then 120 and then 3,000. And then we sit here today because of this new chapter that has opened in the church. And so we're going to dig deeper into this to see all that God is saying. So we continue reading. So we say, what's new? Well, it's a new example, fresh new example, but it's also a new chapter as Jesus gets ready to depart. But what else he says, the other thing he says here is, guys, listen, I know there are a lot of different ways that you can define love, but here's how I want you to define it. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So there's a very specific kind of love or version of love that Jesus is referring to. If you've been around church and you've heard anybody preach on love, you may be familiar with the idea that in the New Testament, the Greek language, we've got three different words that we translate into love. We have eros, which is kind of the romantic, erotic kind of love. We have phileo, which is like a brotherly kind of love. And then we have agapao or agapeo, or sometimes it's called or read agape kind of love, which is this pure sense of affection for someone or something. And so one of the misunderstandings is that, okay, so you and I have phileo love for one another, brotherly love, and then God has agape love towards us, but that's actually not the way God's love is described. Matter of fact, God is... His love is described as sometimes it's phileo love towards us and sometimes it's agapao love towards us. And so we have to take a step back and say, okay, well, Jesus, what are you getting at? What kind of love are you referring to that we're supposed to have towards one another? I want you to think about love this way. You know, instead of thinking in categories of these Greek words, I want you to think about this. One way to think about love is the root of it. So here's what I mean by that. There is a love that comes, that, is, that comes out of somebody's life that's rooted in gratification. Okay, so what we mean by that is I love things that bring, bring me pleasure. So I love them, right? So I love coffee because of the, 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 the taste of coffee, the smell of coffee, and the way coffee makes me feel. I, I love it, right? I love chocolate. I love food. I love ice cream. I love these things. I love thunderstorms. I love... All these sorts of things. And what I mean by that is I love the way these things make me feel. So the root of my love is in gratification. Right? This is, this is junior high, high school love, isn't it? I love you. And what we mean by that is I love the way you make me feel. Or even I love the way you make me feel about myself. It's that pitter-patter, what's the matter, love, when you hold hands for the first time. right? This must be love. And what we mean by that is what? I love the way that makes me feel. Now, hopefully we move into adulthood and in marriage, that's not what you mean when you say, I love you, right? Because if you're not married right now, just so you know, that goes away. It's okay. Because love is more than that, right? It's more than just the gratification of what I feel. There's another kind of love that's rooted in benevolence or goodwill, goodwill towards the object of your love. It's the idea that I love you and I want good things for you regardless of how you make me feel, even when there's nothing in it for me. So we think about those two different versions of love and I think we begin to understand the kind of love with which Christ loves us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we get a definition of love. I want to read this and talk a little bit about it. In chapter 3, verse 16, uh, John says this, by this we know love. Well, that's a helpful phrase because that's what we're looking for, right? I want to know what is love. By this we know love. That he, being Christ, 
laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. There's three things I want to pull out of that that I think will help us understand what Jesus is commanding of us. Uh, First of all, love, the idea, the concept of the kind of love Jesus is talking about is purely a benevolent kind of love. The kind of love that lays itself down for the object that it loves rather than looking for what it can get out of it. Right? By this we know love, that Christ, he, Christ, laid down his life for us. So then what? So then we ought to lay down our lives for each other. But then he wraps up with a practical example, doesn't he? He's like, if you just say, I love you, that's just lip service, right? That's just talk. Let us not love and just lips with lip service or talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. So think about that for just a minute. There are a specific set of actions that should accompany true love, biblical love, Christ-exemplified love, right? Don't just love with your words. There's a, there's a set of deeds. There's a set of actions that should accompany it. But not only that, we should love in what? In truth. There is a true way to think of love. So it's not up to the world we live in to define love, and it's not up to, to my wife and myself for us to define what love is. There's a, there's a version of love outside of us that is, divine, is defined by truth, and that's what we're aiming at. So let us not just love with words. Let us love with what? Deed and in truth. So we come back to John 13 for a minute. We think about that. So how do we know God's love. So on one hand, we have to think about the lovability of those he loves. Just think about that for just a minute. Do you believe God loves you? I, I hope you do, but if you don't, I don't want you to nod your head because you think that's what I, um, but I'm asking sincerely, I think that answer that to yours, do you believe God loves you? I, I hope you do because he does love you. He, I know he does, whether you feel it or not. But my next question is this, why does he love you? Is it a love rooted in gratification, or is it a a love rooted in benevolence? Like, think about that for a minute. Does God love you because you are lovable, or does he love you because he is a great lover? So we go to the scriptures and think about that. Romans chapter 5 the Apostle Paul is talking about our lovability. Um, fair warning, bad news is coming. Bad news in the sense that it's true and it's honest. So in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about God's love for us, and he says this, in, I'll start in verse 6. He says, For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. And then he wraps up this thought in verse 8. Listen to this. But God shows his love for us in that or in this. How does God show his love for us? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like that is such good news. Think about that. 
God didn't say to you, if you will clean up your act, then I will die for you. If you'll just get yourself together, if you'll just quit cussing and quit watching those rated R movies and get off of social media, if you'll just go out and buy you some church clothes and put some bumper stickers on, if you'll do all these things, then I'll lay my life down for you. He didn't say that, did he? No. When did Christ lay his life down for you? While you were still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. And Ephesians 2, 1 says this, that before Christ called you to himself, that you were dead in your trespasses. So God's love for us is not in proportion to our lovability. Are you with me? You see, and how many of us start off like marriage that way? Like your love for your spouse is based on how lovable they are. The problem is there's going to come a day, the day after you get married, probably, where the lovability meter is going to go down incrementally. The more you get on each other's nerves, the more you don't pick up your shoes, the more you leave sinks in the, right, or dishes in the sink, the more you, right? The lovability is going to go down from there. It doesn't go up. Now, some of you who have been married like 30, 40, 50 years, feel free to correct me. So the lovability factor goes down, but you're still called to what? To love. And so God would say to us, I'm calling you, I'm actually commanding you to love each other the way that I have loved you, right, that isn't in proportion to your lovability. You mean I got to love people I don't like? Yeah. The second way to think about it is the sacrifice and the price paid for that love. We're going to measure love. In just a few chapters in John 15, Jesus is going to say this about the measure of love. This is in John uh, chapter 15, verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this. This is the greatest measure of love. The greatest measure of love that could be expressed between two beings is this. What is it? That someone would lay his life down for his friends. So the idea that Jesus is thinking about as he commands his disciples to love with one another, to love one another, is not a love rooted in gratification. He's not saying, hey guys, look at each other. Don't you see all the great reasons why you need to love each other? Okay, y'all go now, love each other. No, he's saying, listen, I'm commanding you to love each other the way that I loved you, which is a benevolent love. It loves when there's nothing in return. It loves with no strings attached. It loves when the object of the love is not lovable. It continues to do what? To love. So we come back then to John 13. We think about this. What is Jesus saying to us? Well, it's interesting because he ends by saying, listen, guys, by this all men will know what? That you're mine. You're my disciples. This will be like the name tag. This will be the lanyard around your neck. This will be the T-shirt that you wear. This will be the, the outward mark that you're mine is what? the way you love one another. Now, why is that significant? Well, think about it. This is the moment in time where where Jesus is about to depart. For the last three years, you knew who his disciples were because they were with him, right? There goes Jesus. Who are those guys? Those are his disciples. Oh, there's Jesus over there. He's got two or three guys around him. They're huddled up. Those are his disciples. So you knew who his disciples were because he was with them. But what's going to happen now is he's getting ready to what? To depart. So what is he saying? Guys, after I leave, this will be your identity marker. 
This is how the world will know that you're mine. This is how the world will know that you are disciples. By the way you love one another. Just as I have loved you, I'm commanding you to love one another. And this is how you, the world will know you're mine. So it doesn't matter how big of a building you build or whether or not you put a steeple on top. Doesn't matter what sign you put out front. Doesn't matter if you have church clothes or not. Like those aren't the outward signs of a true disciple. Now I want to make a point here that I think sometimes we overlook. Sometimes we're overhearing conversation between Jesus and the disciples and we're, we're only hearing it as such. Oh, that was a conversation between them. Good job. Great job, disciples, right? And we forget, though, that, that what Jesus told his disciples at the end was what? To go make more disciples. So what was the command for those disciples? To go make more disciples. Who went and did what? Made more disciples. So whatever instructions he's given to Peter and to John and these guys that are gathered around, he's giving to us. Like, this is our command, church, that you and I would be known. Like, the primary distinction and outward mark of this church would be what? The way we love one another. A sacrificial, benevolent, no-strings-attached love that God first displayed towards us and now is displayed, how? Towards one another. And sometimes you're going to be easy to love, and sometimes I'm going to be easy to love. But there's going to be a lot of times where it's not easy, where we're going to offend one another. We may even sin against one another. We may hurt one another's feelings, misunderstand one another. What, what do we do then? Well, I'm going to go find a different church. Well, good luck, because you're going to have the same problems there. So I want to end by looking at a passage of scripture that we typically read at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. You familiar with this? Love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude. And typically when we read these verses, we're applying them to a marriage. And we're hoping that a couple will latch onto these concepts and display them towards one another. But in context, 1 Corinthians 13 is actually not about marriage. Did you know that? It's actually about biblical community. It's actually about the way that the church relates to one another. Matter of fact, the, the chapter before is 1 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and saying, hey, listen, all members of the church have spiritual gifts, supernatural ways that the Holy Spirit of God has empowered you to do amazing things. And the point of it all is that you would use these gifts to edify and grow the church. And then the very next chapter, chapter 13, he says, but wait a second, wait a second. This comes with a warning, some caution. If you... It doesn't matter what gifts you have. If you don't have love, you're like this resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. All the gifts are meaningless unless they're rooted in, empowered by, motivated by what? Love. And then we get to these famous words in 1 Corinthians 13, meant to describe the relationship that we have with one another. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to apply those to marriage. What I'm saying is that's the second implication. The first is our relationship with one another in context. Some of you probably even have these words you heard me read. Oh, I've got that on my wall at home. I've got a little, you know, a plaque with that or something on my wall. Like, oh, yeah, I know those verses. And I love that you have it in your home. And I love even that you would apply it to your marriage and you would aim at it in your marriage. But when you see those words, the first thing we should think about is what? Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I loving my brothers and sisters in Christ with a patient love, a kind love, a love that doesn't envy, a love that doesn't boast, a love that is not irritable? This is the kind of love with which Jesus has loved us. By this, all men will know you are mine. What's, what, what's option B? There's another option. Are you sure? I mean, isn't there some other things we could do? Because like, that's really hard. You, you're asking a lot about it. Can, can that be like varsity? Give me a JV version of being a disciple? She's like, no. I'm commanding you. Commanding you to love each other the way I have loved you. And if you're not doing this, the world won't know that you're mine. So you think about that as a church. We have a new members class going on. I think it's going on right now in the other building. If you've been through our, our kind of our Welcome to Solid Rock part of that class, there's a portion where we lay out like four or five reasons why Solid Rock Church may not be the church for you. <laughs> a strange thing to do in a Welcome to Solid Rock class. But when you read it, you get it, okay? It's basically saying like, this is what we're aiming at. And, and it's just kind of being up front. I would, I would say that even about today. Like, if, if this is not the kind of love that you're aiming at, I'm not asking if you do it perfectly, but you're aiming at it with your life. The kind of love you're striving for, not just in your marriage, but in your relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. If this is not where you're headed, you're not headed where we're headed. Like, this may not be the church for you if, you, on some level, you don't read these words of Jesus and go, man, I want to submit my life to that. That sounds really hard, painful, but I'm on board, I'm in. I'm gonna aim my life at that. And I know those are strong things to say, but isn't Jesus giving us a strong command? Isn't he saying like, this is your identity marker. So if we wanna be known as a church, it doesn't matter what our logo is or how big the building is or what the sign is. What matters at the end of the day is the love that we display towards one another. Um, a few years ago, I was teaching this passage and. And so I was like, man, I want this to be practical. Like, what is this supposed to look like on the ground? And so I started digging through the New Testament. And before you know it, I read through the whole New Testament looking for practical applications of what it means to love one another. So in other words, commands or descriptions that were, only, that were specific to Christians and the way they related to one another. So after the last service, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I love this list, but is this the list for people inside and outside the church? And I said, no, this is just inside the church. We have a whole other list of things that we're supposed to display to people outside the church. But these are things that we have been commanded to do towards one another. We call them the one another's of Scripture. And in doing so, I found 40 different ways that you and I are to love one another in very practical ways. So I'm going to read through um, these 40 commands. And afterwards, if you're like, hey, I didn't get all that, I want, can you, yes, we have copies of this at the Welcome Center with the, the passages of Scripture. I encourage you to go read it, okay? 
Um, but let me just read through the list here of all the different ways, this is straight out of Scripture, that you and I are commanded to love one another. Starting with this one. Serve one another. Greet one another. Welcome and accept one another. Make peace with one another. Edify and build one another up. And then the flip side of that is do not tear down one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Lay down your life for one another. Do not lie to one another. Walk in transparency in the light with one another. Be devoted with one another. Be patient with one another. Be humble towards one another. Be more interested in one another's interests than your own interests. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Admonish and rebuke one another. Spur one another on to good deeds. Meet with one another. Just halfway. Number 21, show concern for one another. Be kind and compassionate toward one another. Live in peace, harmony, and unity with one another. Sing with and to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Wash one another's feet. Honor one another. Teach and instruct one another. Strive for restoration with one another. Agree with one another. Rejoice with one another. Comfort one another. Show hospitality towards one another. Do not grumble and complain towards one another. What? You want me to read it again? Um, Do not grumble or complain towards one another. Do not provoke one another to anger. Do not be envious of one another. Do not judgment on one another. Do not cause one another to stumble and do not speak evil against one another. 40 different commands, 60 different biblical references here all in an effort to understand, what does this look like on the ground? Do I just need to walk around and, you know, hashtag love? Come here, give me a hug. Like, what does this mean? And we begin to realize something. I can't do these things unless I'm with you. I can't do these things unless I spend time with you. We can't live these things out unless we're willing to get into the trenches with one another. What do we mean by that? The hard moments in life. Like, I can't live these things out unless I live life with you. And so I can't just come in here on Sunday and attempt to obey all this, can I? I can pull off gratification love, right? Warm and fuzzy love. I can enjoy you for an hour and a half on Sunday, and maybe you can enjoy me. But, like, the kind of love where we get beyond that, right? To where, like, we get to our weaknesses, we get to our sins, we get to the places where we hurt, the places where we're weak, the places where we're vulnerable. Like, we can't even begin to live this out unless we live life with one another on some level. And, church, this is our command. Just as Christ has loved us, we are to love one another. So what I want to do now is I just want to take a minute to spend some time praying together. Um, At the end of our service, um, just going forward so you know, um, our prayer partners are going to be available at the end of our services. And that last song will be down at the front.
But when we dismiss, you can come grab a prayer partner if there's something that you would like for somebody to pray with you about. Um, our elders are going to be out in the foyer at that same time. They'll have a lanyard on, so you just you can identify who they are. But they're here to talk with you, visit with you, answer questions. And so however God is speaking to you and working in your life today, we're going to pray now um, that what we're about to do would be more than just singing, but we'd actually respond. Um, there's a good chance, there's a good chance everybody in the room has been challenged today in some way. That you've heard something from God's word and you went, mm, yeah, I struggle with that. Okay, so whatever it is, I'm going to encourage you to respond to God. What do we do? What do we mean by that? So God says, uh, hey, here's what I'm commanding of you. And you go, ooh. So what's the first step in that? Repentance. This is where I've messed up, God. I'm repenting of that. Forgive me for that. Second to that is what? God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit in me, would you empower me to work at the, on that, to strive for that, to aim for that with my life? And so however God's word has spoken to you today, I'm going to encourage you to pray. Again, if you want somebody to pray with you, prayer partners will be down, prayer partners will be down front. Our elders will be out in the foyer. So let's pray together as the worship team comes back out. God, we thank you for the very simple message in John 13. But Father, we confess together. God, this is challenging. It's a whole lot easier, God, for us to think about loving one another from a human perspective, God. To love one another in proportion to one, other, one another's lovability. To love one another in times where it gratifies us or brings us pleasure or makes us feel good. But Jesus, your command is very clear. It's very specific. That the kind of love you're commanding us to display towards one another is a benevolent love. A love rooted in goodwill towards one another with no strings attached. And Father, we just confess together, we can't do that without you. We thank you that you've set the example, but we also thank you that you give us your spirit. You call us to walk by the spirit. So Holy Spirit, we're praying that you would do this work in us today. Father, even though this church may never be a perfectly loving church, God, may we become a church aimed at this striving for this, working towards this, that, God, this community would come to know us, not as Solid Rock Church, not as the church at 121 Verna Trail, but the church that loves one another. God, we want to be known as your disciples. So, Holy Spirit, come do this work among us as we get ready to sing and pray and respond. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.